0: So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, last week, we just continued this look at the, at the, the glories of Jesus. Peter's ending uh, his letter with uh, this call to, to give glory to Jesus uh, as our Lord, our, our Savior, the Christ, that he is to be glorified both now and to the day of eternity. Uh, and so in light of that, we're, we're using that text. We're digging deep in this text. Why is he telling us to do this? What is so glorious about Jesus as Lord, as Savior, uh, as Christ? Uh, and so let's, let's read 2 Peter 3, 18, uh, and then we'll uh, jump into more of just searching the scriptures for the great glories of, uh, of our Savior. Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word, beginning in verse 18, Says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We are just so thankful, God, for all the reasons we have to be here. We are uh, thankful uh, for the commands that Zachary mentioned and how they give us life. And so, Father, I pray that we would know your commands, that we would, both in fear and reverence, know how you call us to live because we know the grave consequences that come of the life that disobeys you. Uh, And, Father, what joy to know as we look at Jesus Uh, There is one who did what we uh, could not and would not do uh, so that we might be able to do what was once impossible to us. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, we've seen so far the, the glory of Jesus as Lord that he is the Lord God himself, that he is Yahweh in the flesh, that, that he is our Lord also in terms of our master, our owner, the one whose will we follow, uh, that Jesus is the, the, this glorious Lord, that when we look on him and his glory, all we can say is glory. That's all that can come out of our mouths. When we truly see God for who he is, see Christ for who he is, But Jesus isn't just Lord. Again, if you can say that, he's also Savior. Peter says, he is our Lord and Savior. Hey, excellent. Thanks so much, Izzy. Uh, Lord and, and the time's wrong. That's all right. Uh, He is, it's good enough. He is our Lord and Savior. Uh, So we started looking at how Jesus is our Savior. One, we recognize that one problem that we have is... That even realizing that we need to be saved in the first place, that our world sort of paints this picture that everything is okay with us, that we're fine, that everything's okay uh, with the world around us. You know, we're sort of this these free beings and then that everything's fine with us and God. And we need a savior because none of those things is true. Uh, We need a Savior because we're not okay. We need a Savior because this world has killed us uh, and enslaved us to sin. We need a Savior because things are not fine between us and God. And so Jesus comes to do that and and to save us, uh, we saw specifically from that first thing, from our sin, that Jesus comes to save us from our sin. And so we started looking at that last week. Uh, How does Jesus save us from our sin? Uh, Jesus saves us because he is the lamb, right? He is the lamb of, of God, that perfect sacrifice that, uh, that accomplishes what all the other sacrifices pointed to. Uh, the, 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 the sacrifice that, that, you know, doesn't just symbolize uh, our sins being forgiven, but actually accomplishes it. Jesus takes away our sin like John the Baptist Uh, proclaimed. But this idea of saving us and of saving us from sin is so central to the picture of Christ's work, to the mission of Jesus, that there are other images in Scripture that talk about when Jesus saves us from a sin. It's not just uh, in the picture of him as the Lamb. Uh, It sort of develops off of that. Of course, these are all tied together. They're all connected. And you'll see verses that talk about all of these different ways that Jesus saves us uh, from our sins. And so what we're going to see today is so last week we saw that he is the lamb who takes away our sin. This week we're going to see that Jesus is the Savior who washes away our sin. So last week he was the lamb that takes away our sin. This week he is the Savior who washes away our sin. And, and we talk about that. We, we talk about having our sins washed away, but what does it mean that Jesus washes away our sin. Well, I think to understand that, we're going to go through uh, to a lot of places in the Bible, shock, Uh, but to understand what it means that Jesus washes away our sin, let's go all the way back to the first time in Jesus' life where we start to see the mention of him washing us and particularly the issue of baptism, Uh, of this baptism that he's going to do. Let's go back to Jesus' own baptism. Right here, back to the beginning of Jesus' life, back to when he visited John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, the question is, how does he do that? And one thing that we're going to see in Jesus' baptism and some other passages is Jesus is going to do this. Jesus is going to wash away our sins. Jesus is going to to cleanse us from our sins. He's going to do this, one, by making a new you. Right? So, Jesus in washing away our sins is going to make us new. He's going to make a new us. So, if you look back, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. I baptize, so this is John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting. For us to fulfill all righteousness, then he, that is John uh, consented. So, so John the Baptist is kind of like this in this go-between, this in-between person in terms of baptism. He's just setting the stage. He's preparing the way for this coming Messiah, Jesus coming. And, and what is he going to do? John says, "I baptize you with water. The one who's coming is going to baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a baptism John doesn't need to, to give. This is the baptism that John needs to receive. This is when the baptizer needs to become the baptized. Because he sees Jesus come and he says, look, I need to be baptized by you. And How, how am I going to be the one to, to baptize you when I need your baptism? And Jesus tells him, look, uh, like this needs to happen to fulfill all righteousness, but but what does what does Jesus's baptism do? What is this baptism that John is talking about? Why is Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit? What is that accomplishing? Because you'll hear people all the time talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look, this is this is really what uh, the Lord is talking about when it talks about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that this idea is 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 attached to a couple of truths. But one is the idea that in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your sins are washed away. The, the picture in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of washing away the old dead you. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings, we're going to see, a renewal. It brings a, a new birth. It washes away the old self. It washes away the, that part of us that was stained by sin. You see this talked about by Paul in Titus chapter 3. So we get Titus chapter 3. So Jesus comes, he's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Are we going to start speaking in tongues? Are we all going to get slain in the Spirit? Like, what does it mean that we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Does this happen when the pastor comes and touches us in a special way? Like, what is this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is actually something that that comes to all believers. And and John talks about it, or uh, Paul talks about it here in Titus chapter 3. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So doing pretty good, right? Uh, you can see why we would think we don't need to be saved because that's a, that's a great individual right there. Uh, we, we're, we're obviously, what's he saying? We were sinners. We were foolish. And even when we weren't foolish, not knowing what we should do, uh, we were disobedient. We were, we were fools. We were led astray, slaves to these things. But then what happens? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're sinners, we were foolish, we were disobedient, but then our Savior appears and He saves us. But how does He do that? He says, Not by anything that we do. We're saved not by any of our works, not by works done by us in righteousness. No, how does He save us? He saves us in mercy. It is in mercy that we are saved. According to his mercy, how? By washing us and renewing us with the Holy Spirit. This is that, here you've got again, baptism, that washing, uh, uh, that renewal tied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, All of this comes through whom? Through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the Savior who's going to wash our sins away. Wash away what we once were wash away that we were foolish wash away that we were disobedient and and in that washing that washing is so complete that on the other side of it we're what we're new that's the picture there is he says it is a washing that regenerates that word there regenerates means to be born again a new beginning right the word genesis means beginnings right the beginnings this is a regenesis a regeneration it is a new us this is a new beginning in christ the old us is gone I mean, and that's the truth. There's no way the old us, the old foolish and disobedient us, the one who was filled with malice and hatred, there is no way that that old us would have any hope, right? Through Jesus, we are washed from those sinful lives. Washed with a washing that makes us born again, that makes us new. Paul is going to call this a new creation. So when we talk about how does Jesus save us, he washes us. What does that look like? He washes away the old us, leaving behind the new. This is, Paul's going to talk about this also in Colossians when he talks about how we, how we have died to the things of this world and been made alive in Christ to put on the new self. That's what's happening here. In Christ, he is washing away. You can think that it is like this flood that just flings everything behind it so that what remains is new. We are so fully and completely changed in the work of Christ. In Christ's salvation, we are so washed, it is as if a new us Has come out. You ever you ever seen those videos of those like animals that have been like abandoned or something? Uh, and they're all got all this matted fur. Uh one, don't watch it. You'll just cry. It's really sad. Uh, but then they they clean them up and it's like a new dog, right? Or those before and after videos that you're pretty sure that after is not the same as the before, but you don't want to say anything. Uh where it's like, look, that look, it started out here, and this is what I look like now. You know, I ate this vitamin pill for three weeks, and now all of a sudden I've got a six-pack and my hair has grown back and all you know all of this stuff and but that's what happens in Christ is that in him we are so completely changed it is like there is a new us when Jesus washes away our sins what is left behind is new there is a new birth a a new generation here a regeneration we are reborn renewed and we started to put the passage. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in John chapter three. If you would like a, another cross reference that we just didn't put in this time, uh, that's what he's talking to to Nicodemus when he talks about being born of the wa- of water and the Spirit. Uh, that that this is this is the work of God to make a new us. We've got to be born again. This is what he's talking about. What he's going to come and do. Uh, and then Paul sort of elaborates on it in Titus chapter three. So. Uh, What happens when Jesus washes away our sins? He makes a new us. We are new. There's a new us here. But it's not just a a new us. How do we become new? Well, we get a washed you. Okay, so uh, part of our newness is that we are washed. And so that imagery of being washed, that the, the old us was stained with sin. The new us is washed By Christ. It is a baptism that sort of washes away that old us. And so the Bible will talk about this washing away of us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. How? By the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without. Blemish. So, how is it that Christ holifies the church? How does he make his church holy? He cleanses her. He washes her with the word. It says he's washing away. Look at this old stuff. He's washing away her spots, her wrinkles, her blemishes. He is making her not just beautiful. He is making her holy. So, Christ holifies the church by washing away that old stuff. This is, of course, pictured in baptism that's what the baptism is is picturing baptism pictures many things but one of the clear things that it does picture in baptism is a washing away of our old filthy self specifically the filth of sin if you look at acts chapter 22 we see this in the story of paul's conversion Paul uh, uh, is retelling it here. Paul has been blinded by, by Jesus, the one that he was persecuting. Jesus uh, sent him to Damascus. There he met Ananias, uh, who gives Saul back his sight and tells him what to do. Acts 22, verse 16, he says, And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So baptism is a picture of Jesus washing away our sins, that Jesus washes them. This picture picture of washing away our sins means that our sins are forgiven. You actually see this when a similar passage or a similar saying is said in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, this time it's Peter talking, not Ananias, but Peter. And Peter said to them, Acts chapter 2, verse 38... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for what? Not, not and, and wash away your sins, but for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we, so when we say that Jesus is, is washing our sins away, we see that in that he is forgiving our sins, that the dirt of sin that clung to us, that we would have no hope of getting rid of, is washed away by him. That sin that you and I cannot remove is washed away by our Christ, by our Savior. Now, we know that that he's not just talking about the physical act of baptism, that, that getting in the water itself is not what washes away our sins, that baptism is a cry. It is a plea to God that he would do what we can't do, that he would make us clean. That he would wash our sins away. We, we talked about this in First Peter, but in First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, this is explained to us. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus jesus christ so so baptism doesn't save you in the the washing away of the you know the dirt from your body it's not just getting in the water and that washing that away baptism is a prayer it is an appeal to god that he alone can make you clean that he alone can wash our sins away and so this idea that we must be made clean that we must turn to God and that it's not just the turning to God, the repentance that saves. We also need the oldest washed away, which I think is an important point. That it's not just he notice in all of these, they didn't just say repent and you'll be fine. It says repent and be baptized. Now, now, why is that? Well, think of the picture of this. It would be, in other words, you need to repent, turn, but just because you turned around, you still got your sin to deal with right you're still dirty it'd be like a kid who who is out playing in the mud and you step outside and say hey stop playing in the mud and they went okay okay mommy and they go and then come running to you like okay hold me and take me inside what are you gonna do wait you're still dirty right just because you stopped playing in the mud doesn't mean that you're not dirty from the mud in which you were just playing and so that's the picture in, the, in, in our salvation that we repent, but then who has turned around? A very dirty person. Someone who has been foolish. Someone who has been disobedient. Someone who has been led astray by all the things. The one who, who, who was dead in their trespasses and sin. That is who has turned around. Uh, so what happens is we need to be washed. This is, this is not a new picture. The Old Testament spoke of being cleansed from our sin of needing to have our sins washed away, our uncleanness washed away and and that's going to be the third thing that we're going to see is what happens when Jesus washes away our sins. There we become there is a new you. There is a washed you. And then the picture now is there is a clean you. So if, you go, if you've been reading through the, the Daily Bible Reading Challenge, which I would encourage you to do, catch up, we're only through Deuteronomy. Uh, if, you're, if you're going through the, through the Daily Bible Reading Challenge, you, you go through the books of the law, especially Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, you'll see several instances where someone is said to be unclean and therefore not fit to enter the Lord's presence, Right, sometimes not fit to to enter the 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 holy of holies. Other times, not fit to even enter the camp. Right, where everyone's camped out. Uh, Why? Because they are unclean. So, what do they have to do if they are unclean? What do they? They don't just stand out there and wait for the dirt to slough itself off. What does it tell them to do in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy? What are they told to do? Go wash. Go bathe. And, and what is the picture? They are washing away their uncleanness. They are washing away their unholiness. I think a great place to see this uh, that is going to very much tie to the work of Christ is in the office of the high priest, which I know all of you want to be someday. Uh, so the office of the high priest, listen, listen to what had to happen, uh, that what the high priest had to do before he entered the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for sin what did he have to do he had to go and he had to bathe he had to baptize his body so look at Leviticus chapter 16 verses 1 through 4 said the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron we're not even going to name them right they're with their strange fiery stuff with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put on these holy things. So before you come in, Aaron... High priest of high priests, before you come in, you need to wash your mud off. And of course, that picture is not just that God doesn't want to get the holy of holies dirty because it's hard to clean. Uh, the picture is what? That, that physical dirt, that physical mud is a picture of the mud of sin. Uh, that, that Aaron is going to enter a place not because Aaron is holy. Aaron needs to wash, um, as it's going to say in Hebrews. That Aaron's got to make sacrifices for his own sins. Uh, in fact, so to go in, Aaron had to go. He had to get all this right. You go in this way. You got these holy. You got these 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 holy garments. You even got holy undergarments to wear. Uh, but even before you put on that, Aaron, you got to go. And you got to get wet, you got to get washed, you've got to be clean. And what's crazy is, in fact, after after the sacrifice, he had to wash again after the animal that was the picture of their sin and their need to die. That, in fact, anyone associated with the offerings for sin afterwards had to go and wash themselves even after the sacrifices. So before you sacrifice, you go and wash. And then after the sacrifices, anyone, not just Aaron, but anyone has to go and wash. So Leviticus chapter 16, verses 23 through 28. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and he shall leave them there and he shall what? And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. And the the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp so Aaron, even though he had washed before, has to do it again. and anyone who has anything to do with the sin offerings and, and and taking the sin away, they must be washed. your clothes must be washed, your body must be washed. So the very thing that pictured your uncleanness was actually something that could make you unclean. I love this because it highlights that the law already recognized the imperfect nature of those sacrifices. Because this sacrifice that's supposed to make you clean is actually going to make you unclean in the process. You go in and you offer the, the sacrifice, but then you get the sacrifice on you. And guess what the sacrifice ain't? It ain't really perfect. It's not the Lamb of God. And so even though you've washed before and the only thing you've gotten on you is the sacrifice that you brought to God, you still have to go out and wash again. We must be made Clean. And, and this, this same imagery that we are all unclean, not just Aaron, not just the priest, that we're all unclean and need to be washed, need to be made clean, is carried over in the New Testament, and it's tied to our sins. So this is why when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it says what? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? do not be deceived, which is helpful because it lets us know that we're like, the world is so bad today. People think that sinners are going to get into heaven. Uh, And it was like, yeah, they were already being deceived by this idea back in Corinth. So really not, not all that much has changed. Uh, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So all the way back in the first century AD, people were already saying that people who do these things still get into heaven. So they were just taking a playbook that's been the same since the beginning. Uh, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were washed holified. You were justified, made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So he says, look, you and I, all of us were sinners. In fact, some of the Corinthians had even done the things on the list, right? He says, look, we're we're, we're all sinners, but some of you Corinthians, you you don't need to just be deceived that those type of people don't inherit the kingdom. You need to be deceived that you need to understand that you were some of those people. Some of you in Corinth had done some of those things, but what happened? They were washed. He doesn't just say, look, these type of people don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And look, some of you did that. And so those of you who did those things, you don't get to go. He said, that was some of you, but what happened? You were washed. You were made holy. That sin was washed away. And what was left in its place? Righteousness. Righteousness justification. You were justified. You were made righteous. And how was that done, he says? It was done what? In Christ. By the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that we looked at earlier. This is really just pointing back the same thing that, that Jesus talked about in John 3, the same thing Paul talked about in Titus 3, the same thing that was mentioned in Matthew, that this, is that this is what being baptized in the Spirit, this is what that washing of the Spirit does. He makes us clean. It doesn't matter if you were someone who was once sexually immoral, or you were an idolater, or you were an adulterer, or you did practice homosexuality, or you were a thief, or you were greedy, or a drunkard, or any of those things. Some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were made righteous. Made clean. So you see that connection. So what the high priest had to do and had to work toward, that's what Christ has done for even the most vile of us. Not just the high priest. He doesn't, this doesn't say, hey, guess what? Christ is going to be such a sacrifice that Aaron's not going to have to wash before and after. He says Christ is such an amazing sacrifice that, that even the idolaters and the, and the sexually immoral and the, and the homosexual and, and the adulterer, like those people are washed. We are washed and made clean. You can see this, uh, especially in the book of Hebrews, pointing back to this picture of the law and comparing that picture in like Leviticus with what the work of Christ has done how we are made truly clean. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How can you and I, how can you and I enter the holy place of God? How is that possible? I mean, you and I, We couldn't even get into the copy of the holy place. You and I, we wouldn't even be able to enter that shadow of the holy place. There's one God or one man from one special family that could enter that copy of the holy place. And yet you and I can have confidence. Look, if you were somebody not Aaron walking into the Holy of Holies, you probably didn't do it with a lot of confidence. Or if you were confident going in, you were drug going out, right? And yet we, right? And, and when, you, when, you, when you become a part of the church and we're talking to you about baptism and salvation, we don't go, and can you show me how you trace your line back to Aaron? So we can find out if you can enter the holy place or not or what you have to do. So how can you and I, if we couldn't get into the copy, if we couldn't get into the shadow, how is it possible that you and I can get into the real thing? I mean, are you ever amazed by that? I mean, we are so so used to the idea of, of us going to heaven that we're not amazed that originally you and I couldn't even go into the thing that was the picture of heaven. We were too dirty to even get into the copy. We couldn't even go into the Madame Tussauds of heaven. Right? We couldn't even go into the wax picture of the, of the Holy of Holies. And yet now we are all so confident that when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Peter and shake his hand and Jesus is going to run up and hug us and say, I've been waiting for you. How? Right, because I don't, there's not a lot of you coming after church and saying, God, all this salvation stuff is great, but I don't see how in the world I'm going to get to go to heaven. Because I know me. Right, I know what I did. I know that it says such were some of you, and I know that such of the some of the such I've done even after the such. Right, so how do I have any hope? We are all very confident that when we die, we will be before the Lord. How? Because you know you, you know you better than anybody does, and if there's anyone that knows, there's no way you get in. It's you. So how can we have confidence to enter the holy place? What does he say? Through the blood of Jesus. We enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What is it that Jesus does that makes us able to enter the holy of holies? Verse 22 tells us. We get to enter, not just the holy, we get to enter the holiest of holies. How? In full assurance of faith. Why? Because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Our bodies have been washed with the pure water that is the blood of our Savior. otherwise Christian you've got to understand there is no way no way that you make it into the presence of the Lord and we have got to quit going into our salvation assuming that we had a ticket a golden ticket in our pocket the whole time And that all we had to do was to understand the story a little better and understand ourselves, that we were really great all along. And it's that sort of eye-opening understanding of you're really just wonderful. And now that you realize the wonderfulness, it is you. You get to go in. I mean, you, there is no way we should have any confidence. I mean, if we, if you and I couldn't in confidence walk into the shadow, how can we walk with boldness into the real thing? Because the blood of Jesus washes our sins away it makes us clean in a way even those animals couldn't do for the high priest if you for a section that gives me chills and it is the ultimate fulfillment of this picture look at the book of revelation Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, and you're going to see tied to this, all these pictures of what we've seen in Hebrews, what we've seen in Leviticus, and pointed to Christ. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. So standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall uh, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, as we've heard. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So look at this passage. Look at what's going on. John is at the throne of God. In the presence of God, right? He's at the, the real throne. Throne here. Not in front of the altar, not in the Holy of Holies. He's before the throne of God and he turns and there surrounding the throne are these people clothed in white. More people, he says, than can be numbered and they're from all over the globe. He looks and it's just this vast sea of people and they're crying out. These praises to God and to the lamb and the angels are joining them. And then in in verse 13, the the elders ask John, who are these? And where do they come from? And and John is like, basically like, I'm new here. Uh, He's like, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you're asking me. I just got here. Um, And the angel tells him, he says, these are those coming out of the great tribulation. And what are they doing? He says, they are standing before the throne. And they are serving God. This whole multitude of people, this innumerable mass, and they're all before the Lord, and they're serving him. They're doing what only the high priest could do, and only that every once in a while. And here you have not a group of people, not a throng of people, and one of them stands up and walks before the Lord, the throne of the Lord, and that person gets to serve. They're all, they're all serving the Lord at the foot of his throne. And God is protecting them, not rebuking them for it. And they lack nothing. They fear nothing. Why? Because the lamb is their shepherd. But how did they get there? How is any of this possible? How is it possible that not only do you have more than one Jew standing in front of the throne, how is it possible that you have an innumerable number of Gentiles serving in front of the throne of God? People from all tribes and tongues and nations, more than John can count. How is that possible? He tells us in verse 14. They have washed their robes. And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And there you see why we read that chapter in Leviticus. It's funny because when we, when we saw in the Old Testament, we saw there that you had to wash the blood off your clean clothes. Why? Because those were imperfect sacrifices. So the blood of the sacrifice actually made you unclean. But here... With the perfect sacrifice, with the Lamb of God, it is his blood that now makes our clothes clean and makes us clean. So so we wash, but we don't wash away the blood. We wash in the blood. And this time, because the sacrifice is perfect, the blood cleanses us from our sins. So when we're looking at what does Jesus do When he washes away our sins, I tell you, look, behold the Lamb of God and behold what the Lamb of God is doing. He's going to save us from our sins. He's going to do it how? He's going to take our sins away. How? By washing our sins away. Christ washes our sins sins away we are sinners we are dirty we are unholy we are marred scarred our garments are soiled our very souls are stained by sin and christ saves us saves us from our sins by washing them away Through the word, the Holy Spirit washes over the old us and leaves in its place a new creation. A spotless, without blemish, sinless, washed. The blood of Christ, that perfect sacrifice whose blood makes even the foulest clean. The blood that we don't need to wash away, but a blood that washes all our sins away. And we cry out with the innumerable voices of the saved. What did they proclaim before the throne? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The lamb who washes away our sin. Let's pray. Just as we bow our heads When we take time to think about what God's word has taught us, what it says, here is uh, the question, right? If this is what Jesus has done in the washing and what the the perfect sacrifice does in washing away our sins, making us new, washing us, making us clean. What, What question is begged in this? The question, have you been washed? Because if you haven't been, then you are still stained with that sin that you cannot remove. If you, if you are, as he says, do not be deceived. In 1 Corinthians, he says, look, do not be deceived. If, you're, if you've done, anyone who's done any of these things or anything like them, like that stain, you and I cannot get off. And if you think, Okay, maybe I'll just be a little better, or I'll go to church more, or I'll do more good things, or or maybe, maybe if I do this or that, or I'm better to my, my wife, or we do more family Bible studies, or this or that, that, that I'll wash my sins away. Look, look, you the only thing, the only thing that washes away your sin and makes you new is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't been washed, then you are still stained with those sins that you cannot get rid of. I mean, the idea that heaven. Heaven? If you you haven't been washed, you couldn't even get into the shadow of heaven, much less the real thing. You'd be standing on the outside. You'd be standing outside the camp because you need to be washed from a stain that water can't touch. So what does the Bible say? You need to repent and what? And be washed. So maybe you need to be like those who... Uh, like it says in Hebrews, need to recognize that in faith, in trusting in Christ to be the one to wash your sins away. That some of you are scrubbing and scrubbing on your life, trying to get rid of the old you, trying to get rid of what you've done, and not trusting in the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter how much you bleed; it doesn't matter. The only blood that washes away sin is the blood of Christ. Either you've trusted in that sacrifice or you're trying to make a sacrifice of your own and you could make a thousand sacrifices out of your life. None of them are going to do anything but the same thing those sacrifices did to Aaron. He bathed, he went in, he made his sacrifice and what did he have to do? He had to bathe afterwards too. Because it is a damned spot that you cannot get off. Only the blood of Christ can. So have you been washed? If you haven't, you need to run to that fountain of, of, of hope, of life, of washing and cleansing. You need to run to Christ and say, say, wash me. I've turned from where I'm going. I've repented. Now come, wash me. Wash away who I am. I have faith that only you can make me clean. Maybe, though, in the world that we live in, maybe you have been washed. Maybe Christ has changed you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has renewed you, but you've never actually been physically baptized. The question to you is, why not? I know sometimes people, talk, you know, maybe you got saved and you've been a part of the church and we've just never said, you know, hey, have you ever, you know, been baptized? I ask you the same thing Ananias asked Saul. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. So obey your Lord, rejoice in your Savior. If you're someone who looks and says, you know, I know that Jesus baptized me, but I've never been baptized. Never celebrated, rejoiced in that picture. Never made that proclamation, that that play, that drama, that picture of what Christ has done. Never been obedient to what he tells me to do. But if you have been washed both spiritually and physically, then do one day right now. Do do today what you will one day do with more people than you can number, with a, a thousand times the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Sing with your voice and with your life. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And know that one day you'll be singing that before his throne. Not because you've made yourself clean, but because the Lamb of God has washed away all of your sin. Father, we thank you. And God, we would have no hope, no hope of being in your presence if it weren't for the blood of Christ. No hope for bulls and goats or good deeds to ever wash away those stains. And yet, in Christ, His blood makes us new. We are reborn. We are renewed by the Spirit that washes us, that cleanses us. We are, we are made clean in the blood of Christ, that perfect sacrifice. So the Father, we now, it is not foolish or prideful for us to assume that when we die, we will be before your throne because we're trusting not in ourselves, we're trusting in your promise. And so it is not prideful anymore. Because it, it is purchased only, you have made a way for us through the curtain, through the blood of Christ. And we are trusting in faith in his work, not ours. And so we sing of your glory and honor and power. And we praise you because we know who we were. And, Father, we know what we could never, never get rid of. Father, what water could never touch, what good deeds could never touch, and Christ has washed it away, has saved us from our sin. By washing them down the brook that flowed from the temple, and out into the sea. We thank you for your Christ who washes even us. It is in Christ's name that we pray and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Amen.